Today's episode is sponsored by Ethnoanalytics. Struggling with your experience design strategy? Worrying about how best to implement your strategy to get buy-in? Trying to figure out how to align your customer experience and employee experience, as well as all your other experience channels? Do you have qualitative data collection and analysis needs? Contact me at GaryDavid at ethno-analytics.com or visit our website, ethno-analytics.com, to find out how to make integrated design and experience alignment possible. Now on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to Experience by Design podcast, where we examine and explore experience designs of all kinds. I'm Gary David, and on today's podcast, we have the CEO of Avidine Health, Jason Yardley. I had the chance to meet Jason at the Callminer Listen 2019 conference. The Listen conference is an opportunity for Callminer to bring together their customers, prospective customers, to talk about the area of speech analytics. And it was an interesting place to talk about patient financial experience. He and his colleague Pete Hamlin presented on how Avidine is trying to improve and really define in many ways that patient financial experience. Quite honestly, when I heard the words patient financial experience, the first thing that came to my mind is it's awful. How could you describe it any other way, especially in the context of the U.S. healthcare system? Perhaps nothing is more frustrating or painful, pardon the pun for using the word painful in relation to healthcare, than the financial aspects of the healthcare experience. And it's not just the patient that has to deal with this awful experience. For instance, my wife is a licensed clinical social worker and she has her own mental health practice where she sees patients, clients of her own. And I've been watching her for weeks now, having to resubmit claims to a particular insurer, which shall remain nameless for now, unless it doesn't get rectified, because she was somehow coded in their new system as being a dentist. Apparently, the system was flagging why a dentist would be treating patients for depressive disorders using cognitive behavioral therapy. Most recently, her resubmissions were rejected because she neglected to fill out Box 22. It's like literally called Box 22. And if you're a fan of Joseph Heller's book, Catch-22, the fact that it was Box 22 makes all the sense in the world. So we all have to deal with, at least in the U.S. context, of this financial aspect of healthcare. Years ago, I was involved in a really long research project studying the work of medical transcriptionists and, in general, the medical transcription industry. And in studying the work of the transcriptionist, you really get to see how the sausage is made, not just in the delivery of healthcare, but the processing of healthcare at the same time. And in terms of sausage, it's how the sausage is made. If you think about that 1980s horror movie, Motel Hell, where the person who owned the, the motel was making sausage out of the, the guests at the hotel. So, you know, when you think about the sausage being made in healthcare, that's the image that comes to my mind of what the sausage is made out of us. It's utterly mind blowing to see how much is tied into those documents, those medical records, and people's ability to understand them and use them. When I was doing this research in medical transcription, one of the epiphanies I had during that project was that doctors don't generate revenue. Documents do. On the one hand, it's an obvious statement. But on the other hand, it gets overlooked in terms of how healthcare is processed and managed. It's through those documents that create those bills 
that we get in the mail. Healthcare providers might say, if it isn't written down, it didn't happen. It's all speaking to the same thing. The medical record and the medical bill, for all intents and purposes, is what happened. And that's even the case if what happened on the bill or the record didn't in fact happen. These become kind of institutional objects to have their own reality in and of themselves. If the points of patient contact of the front end, right, and this by that I mean you go, you know, you see the healthcare provider, you see the desk staff, all those points of direct patient contact with healthcare providers is the front end of healthcare, then what happens behind the scenes we could think about as the back end. And if that's the back end, then the medical bill is a particular part of that back end that gets exposed to patients. And when you open the bill, you kind of get the back end of the healthcare process. And if you're listening to this podcast from the United States and you know the role the healthcare system plays in American life and politics, and if you're listening to this not from the U.S., and we do have listeners not from the U.S., what you hear in this podcast may be both confusing and astounding. It's just crazy the kind of Rube Goldberg contraption that the U.S. healthcare system has become. Recently, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is running for the Democratic nomination for the 2020 presidential race, told reporters in an audience, quote, I trust you to figure out your own health care. Part of this is related to whether or not there needs to be a single payer system or you know, how that's going to work in terms of what plans are available, and who your doctor is. And setting all that aside for a second, this idea of figuring out your own health care, not surprisingly, was astounding to people. As one might imagine, this prompted some response, especially on Twitter, which is great for response prompting. One person wrote, quote, I'm a doctor. And there have been times when I have been unable to navigate the complexities of American healthcare. End quote. And for me personally, I have a child with a developmental disability, which also has physical components, and we routinely have to try to figure out how to navigate our eligibility, our billing, our referrals, and how it all comes together. And that's with me having a PhD, which doesn't necessarily mean much. My wife having an MSW. I study complex systems for a living. And you really haven't lived until you studied this complex system of healthcare. So in all of this, enter Jason Yardley and Avidine Health and their attempts to improve the patient financial experience. A, Forb, a Forbes article in March of 2019, for instance, proclaimed about Jason, quote, this CEO's unlikely mission to revolutionize customer service and healthcare billing. Here, the patient financial experience is constituted of receiving comprehending and paying bills associated with healthcare. And the, on the one hand, that seems relatively simple. You know, receiving the bill is one part of that journey. Comprehending it is another really important part. What does the bill mean? And then obviously paying it is another significant part. Perhaps one of the greatest ironies of healthcare is that despite the huge advances in science and technology, it is also a place where technology goes to die. Want to find people still using beepers? go to a hospital. You want to see fax machines in action? Go to a hospital. Find people eating jello? Go to a hospital. While many of our experiences continue to evolve in our everyday life, the customer experience in healthcare has largely remained stagnant, especially when it comes to processing claims, receiving bills, helping patients understand the financial elements of healthcare, which in the United States can be just immensely staggering. For instance, a recent Harvard study found that 66.5% of bankruptcies in the U.S. were attributed to healthcare costs. 
So Jason and Avidine is trying to address that. And we cover this in the podcast today on what is patient financial experience and how Avidine through things like augmented reality are trying to make for a better experience. Jason also just published a book called Rev Up, Bold and Disruptive Strategies to Rev Up Your Revenue Cycle Hero's Journey. So that's an ambitious project in and of itself. You can get that anywhere you get books and it might be a good Christmas present you were needing to buy that special someone or yourself. And you know what? Don't we all want to treat ourselves to uh, a special gift from ourselves to say, you know what? I like you and you're worth it. So if you're looking for that special gift to give to yourself to show you how much you like yourself, Jason's book would be a good option to take. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Jason Yardley of Evidine Health about what is patient financial experience and how we can improve it. See the blanket. Hi, it's Jason. Hey, now I can hear you. All right. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm dialing through the phone and connecting through computers. Lots going on. It's supposed <laughs> to be. Is this all supposed to make life easier? Exactly. Yeah. You let me know when that happens. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. That's that's one of the reasons why, you know, we keep we keep trying to approach the the state where technology makes our lives easier, and not more frustrating and uh, stressful. I don't think we're there yet. No, no, we got a ways to go yet, for sure. And so, thanks, thanks for taking some time today out of your what must be like a really busy schedule to chat a little bit about Avidine and and especially the, the fascinating new technologies you're all trying to deploy. Yeah, no, happy to uh, happy to do so, and you know, appreciate your interest. It was great to meet you at the uh, the Listen 2019 and everything. And I'm I'm interested to to learn more about you too, and 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 what you do with the you know with the college and some of your interest. And happy to share with you really whatever you want to know about uh, whether it's it's Avidine or how we're using some of these technologies or even some of our plans moving forward because we've still got a ways to go on. Uh, you know, some of the new things that we're building and the, and the path ahead, you know, all in the same context of trying to deliver on the promise of anticipatory customer service, but uh, in much the same way as uh, uh, Zoom should make it easier for, uh, for dialing in and, uh, and connecting, uh, we've still got a long ways to go in healthcare. So baby steps. Baby steps. And I guess, you know, the, the biggest question I have at the top of my mind is what's a guy with a poli-sci degree doing, talking about anticipatory customer service and uh, concierge apps for billing? That's, a, that's, a, that's probably a pretty good question. Um, well, the guy with the poli-sci degree is uh, because he got into UCLA and they didn't have an undergraduate business degree. They didn't? Now, that's, and, that's surprising to me. Yeah, no, there was no undergraduate business at that point. So I was, poli-sci was the closest I could get. And when I got into poli-sci, I actually got... I really didn't know if I wanted to do business or if I wanted to do um, law. Both of them were really interesting to me. And so more of my focus actually ended up being on constitutional law. Um, but when I graduated I, uh, from undergraduate, I, I was accepted to UCLA and USC for, um, for business and for law, respectively. And my parents had both gone to Cal Poly Pomona, which is literally where they met. And one of the first pictures of me uh, is my grandfather's holding me as my parents are graduating with their master's degrees off in the background. 
And uh, my dad cut a deal with me. He said, you know, really proud of you. Go to UCLA, go to SC for your graduate degrees and, you know, take out loans and everything else. But uh, if you want to, you can come to Cal Poly Pomona and I'll pay for your, for your MBA, which made it a pretty easy decision. That's for me. a really easy decision. When people ask me how yeah. I ended up at my university, I say they, they were the only ones to offer me a job. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when, when that's the situation, it does, you know, it's like when you go down the cereal aisle and there's all those choices, one of the, the downsides of that is you have to make a decision. Luckily for me, there was only one box of cereal left in the cereal aisle. It was either that one or nothing. Yeah, and, and so part of it is, I guess that's more of how I ended up maybe at Cal Poly and focused on business, but um, my parents were both in healthcare. Oh. And I ended up in the one place that they really expected I wasn't going to end up in because I had no interest really in going into healthcare. Um, I I started at UCLA and needed a job, and uh, my dad was a hospital CFO, my mom was a business office director uh, for for hospitals and health systems, and uh, so I knew all these people growing up in just healthcare in general. And as a result of that, when I needed a job at our the local one of the local hospitals, pretty close to to where I was going to college, I had a chance to go be a registrar and literally sit in the ER or main admitting and start registering patients. And from that point forward, I, I started really pretty close to when I started college. And so I worked inside of hospitals. I, I worked for vendors. I helped start a patient financing program. So I did all these different things when I was an undergraduate and graduate school. And it put me on a healthcare path that by the time I had graduated graduate school, I had five or six years of healthcare experience and went straight into consulting at Ernst & Young. Um, and then that started me off into uh, focused on healthcare and revenue cycle of healthcare for the next 10 years in consulting and got out of that because I thought outsourcing was an interesting place to go. And I've, I've spent the past 12 years focused on outsourcing or or being a vendor partnering with hospitals and health systems to really drive, um, you know, outcomes and to drive solutions and try and drive down costs. And <clears throat> I think you heard in my, in my story when I opened up on the, the, the listen, uh, you know, part of it is that, you know, most recently the biggest driver for me was my, my dad passed away a few years ago and sat at my table trying to figure out my dad's healthcare bills, uh, which I thought was kind of crazy because here I am, 25 years of experience doing this, and I'm struggling to figure this out. How in the world does anybody else figure this out? And that's really was kind of a pivot point for me personally to, to see not just what can I do to help drive the success of the, the companies that I work for where I am, but what can I do to try and help drive a change in healthcare itself, maybe you know, try and build or, or drive something bigger than what was more of a myopic focus previous to that. So that's, that's my story. It's a, it's a hell of a story. And, you know, I don't know if I had a chance to mention this to you, but I've done actually quite a bit of research on medical transcription, about six years worth. Mm -hmm. And I might be one of the only academics who's ever done research on medical transcription because, you know, why would you think that this is an important field to study? I mean, you talk about revenue cycle. And it was, it was always interesting to me that, like, transcription was never thought of as being part of the revenue cycle. And I, there's, like, literal diagrams where transcription is a part of it. It like starts with coding. Like doctor creates record and person codes it. Well, there's like this invisible middle step. And one of the things that became obvious really quickly is that um, doctors do not generate revenue, documents do, 
right? And, and this is a thing where a doctor can do any number of things or a nurse practitioner or a nurse, but if it's not documented and it's not documented in a way that's usable for coding or whomever, then it's not gonna be reimbursable. However, being usable for coders or whomever is not making it usable for a patient or a family member. Absolutely. And this, uh, is, like where, right. this is like where like this, well, who's the document for? and the, the multiple audiences that this one document, not just the bill, but the record, the multiple audiences and how do you find something, create something that services all those needs at once from an experience standpoint? Absolutely, and how do you, how do you also transition that over time from being a, a handwritten or a typed in document that really isn't, uh, you know, needs a, another specialist to go in and codify that document to make it something that, uh, is being codified along the way or that you're extracting additional data from uh, that that really in both revenue integrity and coding and, and all of that today is another fascinating area and field and, and where a lot of the same technologies are being used from the from the speech analytics and, and, and some of the things that, that we're doing and I know that you're heavily engaged in. And, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious about so yeah, you've been at Avidine now for I'm reading your LinkedIn for about a little bit, almost three years. So almost happy an anniversary. Um, yeah. And so when, yeah, when, when your dad died and you're sitting there, I mean, were you at, were you at Avidine yet or did you not started? I had, um, let's see, it was May of 2017. Yeah, I had, uh, I was trying to think where I was. I think I had just started or I was just going through the transition. And you know, looking, I want to talk about Eve, you know, the augmented reality app. I mean, was, was this, I guess I'm backing up. I'm fascinated by Avidine's statement that improving your fit, your patient financial experience, one wouldn't think that this is a space that to be concerned of. I mean, linking together patient experience and financial experience in one phrase is, is, a, is was fascinating to me because it's like possibly, probably the biggest lift you can take on is, is taking that pain point of the bill and then trying to make it into something not necessarily enjoyable, but not horrible. Right, right. Well, you know, as, as, as I've looked at it, as we've thought about it, um, a big component of it, you know, there's your overall patient experience, and your patient experience is really made up of two components. It's the clinical experience, so are you healed, do you get healthy, all that sort of stuff that goes along with the clinical piece, but it is it is bookended on either side by a revenue cycle financial component because sure, maybe the very first step is scheduling a procedure or scheduling something. And, and I'm a little bit more focused on, on hospitals and health systems at the moment, but it's not too far off from doctors' experiences as well. Uh, as soon as you are scheduled, you go right into the revenue cycle components of pre-registration and figuring out your demographics and insurance and, and then the registration components that start your process. Then you have your clinical piece, and then you have all of the, the billing and follow-up that takes place and can go on for weeks, months, years, literally, depending on the complexity of your case and what takes place. And so this idea of your patient experience being made up of a clinical experience and a financial experience is where we, we really focused on that patient financial experience piece. And it was a part of what drove me to come to Avidine is that patient financial experience component was already in place. It was already something that they were focused on. And I thought that there was a lot of opportunity to build upon that. And I thought that that was a really smart way to approach what we were working on. 
a couple of other components that play into it. There's a, uh, a psychological test. I can, uh, I can find it and, and send it to you. And it goes something like this. If you, if you, if you tell someone, I'm going to tell you 20 random words, and then afterwards, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you to write down the words that you remember. When you give them those 20 random words, they tend to remember the first few words you say and the last few words you say, mm. which interestingly enough is exactly how the revenue cycle positions itself around the clinical pieces. So if, now granted, if you have a really bad clinical outcome, that's going to outweigh everything. But if you have a good clinical outcome, if you had a really poor experience on your sort of entry into that medical provider or really poor experience on the back end, you're going to remember that and it can literally influence whether or not you go back to that provider in the future. And each of us, we calculate, we're worth about a million dollars of revenue over the course of our lifetimes to our local hospital or health system. And that's typically more end of life kind of care but we kind of do have a price tag over our heads in terms of revenue that we generate for our local healthcare community. And if you're in a competitive market where you've got multiple hospitals and you, you're, you have insurance coverage that allows you to kind of pick and choose where you want to go, uh, and with more and more of us acting like consumers and, and making decisions around where we want to receive our healthcare, that patient financial experience is becoming more and more important in both brand loyalty to your local healthcare or hospital uh, provider. But also it's amazing um, as more of that financial responsibility falls onto the patient, how much more they're expecting a different experience on the patient financial experience from their local hospital or health system. So we're really riding this wave right now of consumerism with you know, President Trump issuing his orders around uh, you know, price transparency and things that it's just a really interesting time to be in this part of the business. As, as you talk about the book ending piece, you know, I, I just made a realization that, you know, healthcare, the healthcare industry is probably really happy with higher education right now because higher education and the, the, the debt that people end up in because of their college degrees, you know, so, you know, dwarfs healthcare. The healthcare is probably happy. Someone made it look good by comparison because how, for how long people are in debt for their higher education, right? You know, and, and it really does become an interesting feature that I'm sitting here as a professor in between this, welcome to Bentley University. You know, here's your first bill. And oh, by the way, you're gonna be continuing to pay whatever bill that is for the next X number of years, whether you're you know, employed or not. And even worse, you can't even restructure that debt. And so it's, it, you know, talk about you know, framing experiences for healthcare providers or for, or for schools of higher education or for hospitals, how we make it easier or less awful or even enjoyable, that, that, that piece of the, the revenue piece really is a critical element of creating that brand loyalty, I guess. Completely. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it, it's very interesting to, you know, in all the years that I've been in uh, the revenue cycle part of this business, it's really only been the past few years that there's been such this intense focus on the patient experience, um, different than it was in years past, right? So certainly there was no reference to the patient financial experience, uh, and the experience previously was really just focused on, you know, did you get the patient healthy and, and did the clinical outcomes turn out okay? Much less of a focus on the financial piece. Yeah, you know, it's one of the I think I think Avidon Health is probably you know setting a very high bar for themselves because 
in in the in the video for the app that you know I definitely want to talk about on your website, there's a lot of smiling patients looking at their bills. Is that is that the goal for for, for Abadine's patients? It's like you know your patients will be so happy they're going to smile when they get their bill. I, I don't know if it's uh, the smiling patients ends up being the goal, but the goal is definitely to meet patients wherever they want to be met. And what I mean by that is if you want to engage through technology from an augmented reality perspective, or if you want to call into a call center, or you want to use text messaging or other communication vehicles to make all of those available and to meet you where you want to be met as a, as a patient. Uh, and to the extent that we can, to at least make it different and engaging and interesting to do, to do that as well. And so it's this omni-channel philosophy of, you know, what, what's convenient for you at that moment and you have that, you have that choice you know, available to you as a patient. And have you found out in all the data in this, you would know more than me, are, are patients demanding this more or is this just something that, you know, healthcare providers feel that they need to provide? That's a great question, and it's it's up for uh, somewhat debate in uh, in in what we see, uh, and I'll, and I can talk you through parts of that. But a a large component of it really deals with what does the hospital and health system set as the default? Uh, and here's what I mean by that: if you're if you're accustomed to sending out paper statements, uh, for example, uh, and this is one of the first thresholds we kind of use for this, um, then we really don't see that much of patients signing up for e-statements, different than maybe they do for their credit card statements or maybe their mortgage statements or other things. And, and the belief around that is because healthcare itself, uh, with the exception of chronically ill patients, and particularly when it comes to hospital visits and, and certain health system visits, is a fairly episodic event, meaning you come in because you you know, broke your arm, you go through those services at the ER and whether or not you're an inpatient, all those sorts of things. But it's an episode of care. It's not necessarily felt like it's an ongoing type of thing like your credit card statements or your, your, um, your mortgage statements, which are much more of an ongoing thing. So we actually right. don't see a lot of enrollment in, say, e-statements. But if a hospital sets the default that you're going to receive e-statements and you have to opt out of it, as you can imagine there's a much higher acceptance rate when it comes to that. What patients really have asked for though is uh, having patient portals and opportunities for them to make payments online. Uh, and some of those components definitely are being asked for. But the higher level I think is really patients are looking for, is there just a better, easier, more, uh, an experience that's more like the retail experiences that we, that we have. And the retail environment is changing so fast the healthcare was already having trouble keeping up with it. Now we've really got to hustle to keep up with what more of the retail experience is. And so that's where you see the advent of more of the patient portals and um, some of the, 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 the technology communications are there. Um, but the e-statement piece, interestingly enough, is, is not really taking off in the way that we had expected or hoped that it would. When you, when you talk about the portal, it reminds me when my, when my doctor, my pediatrician for my kid's doctor, right? when they first came out with, we have a patient portal. I mean, going online to the patient portal was kind of like going to the DMV, right? Or the, you know, RMV or Secretary of State. It had that same feel to it in that it, the experience of it felt so cumbersome and complicated and convoluted and just not intuitive. And it almost felt like someone 
made like a MySpace web page, right? It wasn't, it, it was there. It satisfied the criteria, I guess, of the ACA or something in terms of having a patient portal. But to match the other experiences that we have with those other kinds of online services we always use, so far behind, it really, you know, did nothing, even though I might want it, it did nothing to create confidence in my healthcare provider in terms of an online experience. I mean, he's still a good doctor, but I would, I'm loathe. It's like, I'm, I'm loathe to go to the DMV. I don't want to go on my patient portal because the experience is just so, so complicated. So, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you wrestle with the expectations that are set by other industries for how the patient financial experience then factors in? Well, in the case of the, of the patient portal, uh, we were we were pretty deliberate and straightforward with it, and 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 yet it seemed like such a simple answer. We just went out and looked at all of the really good consumer experiences that we individually within the organization and with the, within the folks who were kind of doing the design and the user experience build and such forth. We went out and looked and said, okay, do you like what American Express does? Do you like what Citibank does? Do you like what some of these other in, you know uh, environments do? And we, frankly took some of the best ideas and incorporated that into when we redesigned and rebuilt our patient portal to make it as easy as a process as we could to make a payment, but also to make it easy to get to some of your past statements and some of the information that you might be there um, looking for, as well as to integrate it with other solutions. So with the the largest of the uh, EHR systems out there today, we've made it single sign-on access. So if you're logged into your medical record or looking at some of your clinical stuff and you want to pay a bill, you can click on one button and it automatically logs you into to our portal, for example, if we're connected to that hospital or health system. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, in, in consulting, we, uh, we would have called that knowledge reuse. So we look for the great examples right. and, and kind of build from there. I like knowledge reuse. That's what I tell my students when they, they want you know, insight on to do presentations. I tell them, you know, think of your least favorite professor, think about what that person does, and don't do that. Do the yeah. opposite of that. And so, or think of your favorite professor, or what does that person do? I think it's brilliant, right? You know, this, this idea, and this is where I, in terms of designing experience from a user experience perspective or from customer experience, people feel compelled to go with the wow moment, to try to go big, to try to elevate beyond the point that people really want or need. You know, what people mm -hmm. are looking for are, are a predictable, often a predictable, mundane, routine, uh, simple experience that gets them what they need and not something more than that. And a lot, I think a lot of companies, yeah. when designing whatever it is, really try to go more than that. And that's where they, go, they, they end up with complex failures versus simple solutions. Yeah, we've all run into those over-engineered solutions, and, and that was one of the items, and frankly, it was also one of the items that our customers pushed us for, um, which simply stated was, if I can make a payment in three clicks, don't make me do it in 15. And so how do we continue to, to narrow down, and as much as there might have been all types of interesting design stuff we could have thrown out there, just make it a simple, easy way to make a payment, and understand, going back to this idea that you know, this is this could very well be more of a transaction versus a repeated process that the patient's going to go through. Make it easy to go do a single payment and not have to create accounts and logins and all that sort of stuff. If you just want to make a simple payment, here's a fast way to go do that. If 
you want to create an account, you're going to want to go look at your, your statements online in the future and all those sorts of things, then also have that as a part of it, but provide, once again, the patient with their own level of personalization of how they want to engage and make that engagement as easy as possible. There's an old Kinks album, you know, the British band, The Kinks, that always yeah. rings in my head, you know, give the people what they want, right? You know, just, True. what do people want? And, you know, give them that. Not that they always know what they want and not that they can always, not that there's more to do to innovate beyond what they think they want, but the idea of going to where the people are, going back to the phrase that you, that you said, is, is something that I think, and when I do consulting work, I really teach the classes on this, on experience design. It's, you know, building that confidence from the simple inter interactions, like small talk, you meet a person for the first time, you don't jump in the constitutional law, right? Although in today's political environment, you might, but typically you don't, <laughs> right? And I, I bet you never thought that constitutional law background would come in handy, right? But you're watching the nightly news going, no, I understand this. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I remember, this is this is all ringing bells from back in my education, you know. And you got to do the small talk, and that those those easy transactional points really can create that sense of confidence that you can then, as you described, go on and do those more expansive things like looking up other information. But if you can't do the simple things well, no one's going to hang in for doing the more complicated things because they they don't expect those to go any better. Absolutely, there's there's also an argument for speed to solution and release as well, right? If you can, you can design all of these great things you want to build into something, but just take the first few steps and launch that and start to, to create a relationship with your customers and start to create a relationship with the patients and start to get them to start to use pieces of it. And then let's build on more and more to make it an even more robust and better solution. But let's not take two years to roll something out. Let's take a quarter to roll something out and then start adding on from that perspective too. Yeah, that, that you know, the agile kind of design cycle, right? That yeah. we don't, we don't, and the, you know, healthcare can be very slow for good reasons. You know, you don't want to have medications come on too fast. Academia can be really slow for bad reasons. Um, but having that opportunity to engage quickly, to to build iteratively, and then evolve the solution as as you understand the successes and the opportunities that exist. And, and you, when we were chatting briefly at the Listen 2019, you, you started talking about to me about the Eve app, um, this, this patient concierge app demo. So can you describe that a little bit and like how it came into being? Because you, you, you inferred that there was some story here, some, some innovation story about you know, great inspiration in the cosmos linking together disparate elements that came together in this vision of, of Eve, the app. Absolutely. And it's... It I definitely have to either connect this to uh, something greater in the cosmos or serendipity or whatever it might be. Um, so I'll tell you, a little, I'll tell you the, the origin story, the background story of it, and then uh, explain a little bit about the app and how it works. And Great. so the, the abbreviated version is I, I happened to get on a plane in New York headed to Los Angeles where I live. Um, I don't typically talk to folks on planes. It's usually my time to kind of decompress and work on emails or quite frankly fall asleep. Uh, and I happened to strike up a conversation with the lady sitting next to me. She mentioned she was in entertainment. And I said, you know, I know this one guy in entertainment. He was really good to me when I had a chance to meet with him and talk to him. And I mentioned his name. And she says, wow, that was my mentor as wow. I was kind of coming through my career. And so there's sort of that serendipitous, what is, what's the likelihood that two people sit down on a plane and they happen to know this one person that's a connection? 
in a field that I'm not even in. Right. And uh, as a result of that, I think she was a little bit more willing to tell me more of what she was working on. And, and she went on to describe that she was um, in a leadership role with Will I Am and the Black Eyed Peas. And it had been six and a half years since the Black Eyed Peas had uh, launched an album. And that was because that they were looking into all of these different technologies and other things for them to do other than um, just putting out music, which is no small task into itself. And what they had done is that uh, Will I Am and the Black Eyed Peas had partnered with Marvel Comics to build the first ever augmented reality comic book. And I said, that sounds absolutely amazing. I have no idea what you just said. Right. What, what is an augmented reality comic book and what is that like? And so by now we've taken off and we're, we're on our way to L.A. And she breaks out her iPad that happens to have the comic book on it. And she holds her phone, which has an app on it that's tied to the comic book, and she holds her phone over the uh, comic book. And on her phone, this comic book comes to life. Stan Lee narrates it. The, the characters stand up out of the comic book, and it, all of it's spoken, and there's music. And if there's a fight, characters fight. If there's a gunfight, there's a gunfight. And uh, there's all these great voices you would recognize from Jamie Foxx or Michael Rappaport and, and, and all these people. And it was just a really cool experience. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, I think I'm looking at the evolution of comic books. And as a kid, I collected comic books. I remember the joy I had of going through them. But man, if they would have come to life for me, that's a right. whole different level of what could happen. And she, she says, well, you know, what do you do? And I go, well, basically nothing as sexy as what you do. I'm in healthcare and I collect money from patients. And, and that's kind of my story. And she falls asleep. Right. And I sat there for two hours thinking to myself, wow, you know, one of our largest challenges or a big challenge for us is that we've just made hospital bills in particular so difficult to understand or complicated. And, and we use our own terminology and language. and We don't necessarily spell things out real easily. Even the sections of what are on there isn't that easy. I wonder if we could use this technology and have a similar, instead of having a comic book character, have an avatar to be able to describe to someone, hey, here, let me be your sort of personal avatar concierge. Let me explain to you what's going on in this bill. And after she woke up, I asked her, I said, could we use that same technology in, a, in this setting? I mean, a comic book is nothing more than a series of pieces of paper, and a hospital bill is just a piece of paper. And she said, yeah, absolutely. And we talked about it, and literally the idea was born on that plane flight, and uh, subsequent after that, I started doing some research into where other companies were using augmented reality and whether or not it seemed like it was a, a viable solution moving forward. I found these examples of uh, the 19 crimes wine bottles. Just right. thought that was fascinating. Uh, and then also the Harvard Business Review had a uh, has an article out there. I want to say it was from uh, November of 2018. Actually, November of 2017. And in uh, in that article, they actually Harvard Business Review built an, an app, and you could hold the app over uh, some documents that they had created, and it shows the the future of sort of using augmented reality and virtual reality uh, in in manufacturing and in different industries. Uh, and I just thought it was a really interesting, creative idea that we should consider. And everyone I kind of spoke to about it seemed to have a level of, of interest in it and see how it would play out. So I literally walked into one of my board meetings with uh, three bottles of 19 Crimes wine and a comic book and said, I've got an idea for us to try. 
and uh, the board was very supportive of it. And so we set out and we we built the the initial proof of concept app and uh, went around talking to our current customers and and um, there was a great deal of interest. Uh, it was it, it was interesting to go through the process, and I had this feeling of no one really wanted to be first because it was an idea that was out there a little bit far, but yet no one wanted to be left behind. Uh, so when I was able to find our first client who was really interested in moving forward with it, once other clients and customers and prospects heard about that, they've quickly now basically gotten in line to not be far behind what we're doing with this first client. So we... We launched the, the patient concierge app, is what we call it. Uh, it's an augmented reality tool that not only allows for an avatar uh, to guide you around your bill anywhere you click on your phone uh, in different sections. The avatar walks those sections and, and um, literally speaks to you about what you can find in these sections of the bill. But also down at the bottom, there's four buttons. You can click a button that will take you immediately to the payment portal. You can click a button that will, since you're holding your phone, will have you uh, call directly into the call center uh, because we have that loaded. And there's a button that you can email for help or that you can uh, we can link you into whatever content that the hospital or health system wants us to link you into. So it's a, it's a really interesting, neat, new experience uh, for patients. And it was just launched a, a couple of weeks ago, and we're, we're now starting to see the first patients, uh, patients downloading it. So it's, it's pretty exciting to have gone through this uh, whole idea of coming up with a concept literally on a plane flight and here we are a year or so later and uh, it's now in 30 hospitals and starting to be used by patients. Did you have any thoughts of having uh, Stan Lee be the person who explained your bill? I would have loved to have done that. That would have been cool, right? I mean, if Stan Lee would have popped up or even, I mean, it might have gotten a little expensive with the licensing with trying to get like Marvel Comics characters um, showing you how to do that? It, no, it's a spectacular idea. And in fact, originally when I was speaking with this lady about, you know, kind of the idea and the concept, she said, man, it, that sounds like a fun idea. I should have uh, Will, Will I am launch it with you. And I thought, man, would that get some attention if we, uh, if we were able to do that? Now that never, that never played out. I can tell you, we are looking into right now, um, potentially working with a company that as an individual, say the CFO of a hospital. Now, this isn't sort of as maybe as interesting as having one of the Marvel comic characters do this, but um, having a CFO of a hospital or a CEO of a hospital um, stand in a room where they can take a three-dimensional picture of you and create that as the avatar and literally have the avatar personalized to the hospital or the health system based on the on the leadership team or maybe their mascot or, or some other thing. So now we're starting to get real creative. We're looking at different ways that we can really personalize this. And, uh, and once again, I don't expect people to be big smiles and having a wonderful time while they're going through their hospital bill, but at least to provide a better experience than getting a surprise bill out of nowhere you weren't expecting and then not having the benefit of even understanding it. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And I, I did watch the video before we were talking today. I went, you know, on, on the Avidine Health website, there was a video that shows how the app named Eve works. Mm-hmm. And, and there is, I will say, there is a smiling patient on the, on the video. So he seems to be enjoying <laughs> himself quite a bit. So yeah, I wouldn't sell yourself short, but I think it's, you know, it's this idea of how can we make these connections between different you know, industry spaces to draw that kind of inspiration together. And, you know, the, the story is amazing outside of the fact that as soon as you said you work in healthcare billing, she fell asleep. 
that, <laughs> that must have been rough to take. But everything else was fascinating in terms of, you know, will I am black eyed peas and just how can we take this thing from over there, like the wine bottles? I knew about the wine bottles. I never even thought about how you could take that principle and apply it into a problem space like, you know, a patient bill and, and, and a way of, of creating that different kind of ex experience for the person where, again, it's not necessarily the person's, oh, yeah, I got a bill. I get to use my app. How exciting. But it is, well, you know, now I can at least get a better sense of it. And and since you started it, have you had any sense about how it how it's integrating with how people are calling into the call centers for any additional questions? Are people calling in more well-informed? Um, has it changed the nature of those communications at all? It's a, it's a little early to know for sure, um, just because it hasn't been out gotcha. that long. Uh, what we are starting to see is um, uh, some heat maps around where patients are clicking on the bill. So we get right. an idea of which sections and which buttons and things. Uh, and so we can see that um, the, the, the number, the, the, the primary places where people are clicking are, you know, better description of whether what their charges are, or what the financial components are, uh, clicking on how to pay or what the payment statements mean. And then somewhat of an equal clicking between going straight to a payment portal to make a payment or clicking on the call center uh, button to call into the call center to ask additional questions. So you can, we are starting to be able to infer kind of a pattern of how it's being used and, and the path that it's, that it's taking people on. Uh, and we're excited for more folks to download it and to, and to use it and for us to be able to track more of that. We're also excited to continue to add on other functionality that, that hopefully makes it so that there's more of a reason to either use the app uh, and or to make it more personalized to the patient. So that's not generic to just what's on the on the bill, but it starts to know, you know, is this Gary's bill or is this Jason's bill? How much do you owe? Can you set up payment plans? Can you ask additional questions like, has my insurance paid? And we're leveraging some of the lessons learned from our speech analytics use uh, and from our history of, of all these millions of calls that we take to the call centers to drive that feedback back into both the augmented reality app, into our integrated voice response, our IVR systems, how we create our paper statements, and our electronic statements, just to really be on this continuous process of understanding what questions are coming up or what, how we are challenging patients or their families to understand their statements and their bills and what they owe and trying to answer those questions before somebody ever has them. So it's been, uh, it's been a pretty neat process so far. And then we're excited about, like I said, some of the new technology stuff that we're going to add moving forward, not only the personalization around Eve, but taking a look, for example, at geofencing and how do we push information from the moment you arrive at a hospital to try and help you on your experience or your journey and push information to you as you've left the hospital. It's fascinating. And I, as you talked about the heat maps, I also start to think about the hospital, there must be some record someplace of when that bill was sent, right? And you might be able to project when that bill might have arrived. When did they open the bill? I mean, you can't, you won't necessarily know because they might have opened the bill and not used the app, but you might start to be able to infer even. Are people letting bills sit for a certain period of time before they even engage with them? As I know I do, and I'm sure many people do. And and to get a sense of that overall journey, right? You know, kind of going back to this journey mapping idea of we get a we get we get more insight into and more data into 
what the overall journey of that bill is once it leaves the facility until once it actually gets paid. Yes, and in fact, we're you know one of the other solutions we're looking at. We we call it our patient financial experience tracker. Um, there's a gap in time from when you are discharged from a hospital or you have your service to when your bill actually arrives for you. And typically, in that gap in time, if you have insurance, so it's 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 a it's a more straightforward direct process if you don't have insurance. But if you have insurance, or you have you know whether that's private insurance or Medicare, or Medicaid, or what have you. There's a billing process, as you know, that, 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 that the hospital the health system goes through. Then there's the, the payer or the insurance company goes through their process of adjudicating that claim and whether or not they make a payment or a denial or whatever else. And then at some point, the balance becomes what the patient owes. And that gap between when a patient is discharged and when a, a patient actually receives their first bill regardless of whether or not they receive an EOB, explanation of benefits, or something else from their insurance company in the middle of that, that could be weeks, months, or over a year, depending on all of the complexity inside of that inside of that case. And today, there's virtually silence during that, that time. Right. And, and that's where a lot of the frustration from the, from the, from the um, surprise bills come from. So we're building a solution right now that, frankly, is very similar to, like, your Amazon uh, package tracking, which is from the point of discharge, we're going to set expectations that say, hey, it takes us five days to drop a bill based on your insurance. It's going to take them 22 days uh, to adjudicate and provide us some sort of response. You shouldn't expect from us to receive your first statement for 45 days, and we're going to keep you updated all the way along. Not unlike you order something from Amazon and you can't get back to your email fast enough before there's already an email waiting for you telling you what to expect and every step along the way they continue to inform us. And it really gets, you know, we, we not only took that idea from what Amazon was doing, but we also took that idea, I, I had somebody speak to us about employee engagement and that our limbic system is always basically just asking two questions, am I okay and what comes next? <laughs> and what we've really haven't done well uh, from a, a communication perspective, sometimes in companies with employees, which was the focus of that conversation, but I equated it back to how we engage with patients. We really don't set a good expectation right up front around when you should expect to receive a bill or anything else, where now we're going to do that. And hopefully that doesn't drive a whole lot more calls, but it, but it drives a sense of security of knowing, okay, I know what comes next and I know the timeline and I know what to expect. And then when it arrives on time, that creates even a better a better experience. Not unlike, I make my order. I know when it's going. I know when it should be arriving, and I'm told each step along the way. I even know that it's out on the truck for delivery, which I don't know that I ever cared to know before. Uh, but it's on its way, and I never. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I haven't called in to check on the status of a package in years, because I'm told the whole way through. Right. And we want to be able to create that same experience. You said you know, might, might, you know, hopefully it doesn't drive more calls. I mean, I guess, I guess that would de depend on what happens during the call. I mean, any a call can extra calls can be a cost, but they also can be opportunities for customer engagement and experience. And so, if, if people are calling in to say, "I just got this notification that my bill is going to be coming in 30 days," you know, what's that about? And then the person explains it. That might be that only time that person calls. But now sure. they feel there's greater transparency. They've had a positive engagement 
where they where the now they're in the loop. And I think for you know so many instances, you know the lack of transparency on the side of a business or an organization really is what drives a lot of anxiety and stress. Whether it be waiting, you know, why is my plane delayed, or what you know with my students, when am I going to get my papers back, or did I pass my certification exam? Or where's my package? Or when's my bill going to come? It's those, those lack of transparency moments that the more companies can alleviate, probably the better the, pay, the patient experience or the customer experience and employee experience is going to be because then you're not dealing with mad customers calling. I completely agree with you. Uh, having that level of transparency and simply sharing with somebody what to expect next and then delivering on those expectations goes a long way to building relationships and creating a great experience. Absolutely. And so you talked a bit more about all the exciting things going on in terms of, you know, what Avidine is going to be doing. Are your primary customers, you know, the, the patients or are they the healthcare providers or the doctors? I and mean, how do you, how do you think about who your customer is or all of the above and how do you tailor what it is you're doing to each one? Yeah, our our customers are healthcare providers, whether that's hospitals, health systems, or or physicians, or even other ambulatory care centers, maybe it's urgent care centers or other things. So those are how we have to look at our our clients or our customers. But it is our customers' customer who we engage with. So their patients primarily are family members or guarantors of, of all of them. And culturally, what we have shifted is. You know, we're an organization that's been around for 47 years. We started as a debt collection business and have evolved over time to move forward to more active AR and such. And the realization we came through and looking through all the data is we have a very complicated healthcare system. Of all of the patients who pay, roughly half of all patients today call in to ask a question of a call center, which told us that our, our main goal really didn't need to be collecting money. Our main goal needed to be helping people. And if we could be champions of the patient financial experience and we could answer those questions when patients called in, everything else would follow or flow from that, whether it was payments or taking the next right step when it came to helping that patient. And while I say that our customers and our clients are the, the healthcare providers, we really do, though, look at our approach to dealing with any patient who's on the phone is dealing with them just as if they were our direct customer as well and living the mission, vision, values of each of the healthcare providers that we deal with. Uh, and so while they might not be our direct customer, um, they are somebody that, 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 that's there for us to be a champion of. Do you, you've, been, you've been in the outsourcing business for a long time. Do you see this, this shift from being debt collectors to helping people is a pretty substantial shift, right? I mean, the negative rap the industry might have of all you're doing is calling up people to harass them for payment versus no, we're actually trying to help educate people on what, you know, why they owe that much and how to understand their bill. So there's greater transparency. Has that been a larger cultural shift in the industry? Or is this just something that Abidine itself is, is looking to, to be a champion of? Well, it's certainly a focus for Avidine, without question. I, and I, it helped that we had the data and, and other sort of rationalization around it to, to make that transition. I also believe that there's a bigger transition that's taking place in healthcare in general, 
and that there is a large struggle with this today because there's so much negative press around a hospital or a health system maybe suing a patient or suing an employee or suing somebody in the community to try and get dollars out of them. There's so much challenge around every year. Everybody, everybody, you know, white knuckles it to try and figure out, well, how much is my health care cost going to go up this year and how much of that's getting passed on to me as, a, as an individual or, or a patient. There's just such negativity around all of that that I also believe that, that hospitals and health systems and, and, and providers really are trying to educate the public around how complicated of a system we have. And just posting our charges out online is not going to be the answer to it. That does not create transparency. But really trying to find a middle ground of communication and education is, is the path forward. And like I said, it's been remarkable how over the past few years there has been this significant transition towards the discussion and the focus and the dialogue around the patient experience and, and more directly the patient financial experience. And, and it's, I'm just looking at your website, and it definitely seems that the employee experience is a, is a large factor as well in terms of Im, imbuing people who are taking the calls with the same sense of purpose and mission and also the, the ability, the flexibility to engage with customers where they are versus reading a script for everybody in the exact same way. It is, and in fact, as a part of our, our training program, um, we work with educating all of our team members who are, who are on the phones and speaking with patients, uh, even around the different types of personalities of individuals who might call in. Do you get a, an A-type personality like me who calls in and, and I just wanna know the numbers and how do I resolve this and move forward? Or do you get someone who you know, maybe they're a little bit older and maybe they want to have a conversation and they want to, they want to share some things with you about your, their family or how they got into this situation. And ultimately you get around to the financial components that we really do uh, attempt to teach our team members on how to engage, not only engage in the communication uh, channel that the patient wants to engage in, but how do you engage with them as individuals in the way that they most want to communicate? And that might mean that we have some calls that are two minutes and some calls that are 20 minutes, uh, but it provides that right experience and, and, and provides hopefully a positive experience for that person that you're, you're getting to engage with. And you've, have you seen that difference in terms of just even your internal employee metrics? I've seen it in terms of internal employee metrics. We've seen it in terms of the scores that come out of our speech analytics tools. But most importantly, I would say we've seen it in feedback from our customers. Um, I, I have a, a customer who, who would say right now that they used to receive uh, a few complaints a week that would go to their senior leadership uh, around the, the billing process and, uh, and the communications and not being able to get their questions answered in the way that they were being dealt with. And that same person would say, you know, we've gone from seeing a few of those a week, if not every day, to she can't remember the last one she's had over the course of the past couple of quarters. And, and it's purely because of how we're engaging with people, I really believe. Everyone on your website looks really happy. I'll say that much. So <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are trying to be happy. We don't want to make it a negative thing. No, I mean, I think that's, I think it's fair. I think, you know, if, if the metric of success here was the number of smiling people on your website, you're definitely, you're definitely hitting that mark. And it's like I said, it's like, 
I think constitutional law might have been an easier lift than trying to improve the patient financial <laughs> literacy space. I think you opted for the harder direction. I think, you know, the legal world is much simpler than the healthcare world. And having done some research and some work in that space, it's, it is truly how the sausage is made. And it's just, you know, when, when you see how it works, you no longer ask the question, why is it so much money? Because you're like, oh, I understand because of the levels and layers and, you know, the coding and the reimbursement and the exceptions. And it's incredibly complicated. And, and for what you all are trying to do here, and, and I think in the way you're trying to do it from an experience design perspective is, is no easy task. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. And thank you for the comments about it. I, I agree there is there is much administration and much cost that's built into our healthcare system uh, and incredible pressures right now to reduce that cost and to, and to take some of that burden out of there. And uh, we're, we're certainly working on trying to help make that happen, even creating new pricing models that um, try and even reduce that cost over time uh, as we drive uh, patients and that experience to be more self-service and such. So. Couldn't agree with you more that uh, there's got to be a level of change and hopefully radical change moving forward to make it a better experience for all of us. And you've given me an idea. I'm, <clears throat> I'm actually going to have augmented reality for my, my, my students' papers. So when they want to know why they got the grade they got, they can just put their phone over it and it will show <laughs> them by Stan Lee, hopefully, or maybe, you know, probably Deadpool would be more suitable for some of the comments <laughs> the students need to get. You know, or maybe for like the students that it didn't perform well, I have Deadpool. And for those who did really well, Captain America. I have to, I have to figure go. out how to target which Marvel comic characters to which grading level. But I think that that would save me time when students say, well, why did I get this grade? I'll say, well, just hover your phone over and I'll let you know. You, you just need a few stamps that are QR codes that you just stamp that, that, uh, that, that uh, student's uh, work and You'd be amazed at these days what you can drive with a QR code. Well, I think, I think that's sound advice. And I'm, I'm going to be looking for more opportunities for QR coding everything in my life, including, um, including <laughs> my, my, patient, my patient financial record as well. Well, thanks so yeah, much, Jason, been, uh, for, the, for the chat today. Uh, anything else about Avidine that's, that's really exciting? Uh, well, thank you for the time today. I really, I really do appreciate it. It's been nice chatting with you and catching up with you. Um, we're we're going to keep pushing the threshold. We're going to be doing some things uh, with geofencing and, and some other exciting stuff. So stay tuned. There's, there's much more left to come of trying to leverage what's the best experience in other industries to bring into healthcare and drive down costs while increasing financial outcomes and, and a better patient experience. So well, hopefully, I hopefully, too am excited. Hopefully you'll have some more long flights where you can get some more ideas. <laughs> there you go. All right. Need some really smart people next to me. Sometimes when they don't fall asleep too soon. <laughs> there you go. Thanks again to Jason Yardley, CEO for Avidine Health, for chatting about how they are trying to tackle perhaps the most painful of pain points, the medical bill and patient financial experience. And make sure you check out his new book, Rev Up. You can also follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. And thanks to everybody who has subscribed to Experience by Design Podcast, which continues to grow, which I'll take to mean you are enjoying the podcast. 
and I, I'm hoping I can use that as a metric of our success. So thanks everyone for subscribing and for downloading. You can do so by going to experiencexdesign.com and just giving us your email. You can also find past shows on our website there as well. Feel free, feel free to subscribe through Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And we are working on other outlets as well, including Pandora. So stay tuned for that. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, you can send them to feedback at experiencexdesign.com. You can also sponsor an episode or longer if you like. And you can get in touch with us there as well and give us your thoughts on how we're doing. If you like our podcast and would like to donate to it to help offset some of our costs, you can do so through our glow.fm page, which is also linked from our website. For those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, we only got a few more days of darkness descending until we start to turn things around with the winter solstice. Hope you're having a festive time of the year and happy holidays to everybody.